Everyone else, while you're getting these communion packs, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Matthew that's in the New Testament, the first book there in the second half of your Bible. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 here in just a moment. We're going to be looking at some red letters if you have that kind of Bible. It's Jesus' teaching on, you guessed it, if you see it on the screen, giving, praying, and fasting. But while you're turning there and before we get there, as we prayed and talked about earlier, you've seen the news in Ukraine, the images, the stories of this unthinkable invasion. You're fearful, you're concerned. And if you're a part of the neighborhood church, you're fearful and concerned for our kingdom partners in Russia that are heartbroken and devastated at this senseless act of aggression. We're desperate for peace and for this to end quickly. So add all that geopolitical concern over our own little community's concern for our Pastor Bud, who's in the hospital and has been since November. We prayed for him as neighborhood group leaders this week for secretions to end, for his spirits and his body to be strengthened. And yesterday afternoon, I heard him speak for the first time in many weeks because he's had a trach. And that was an encouragement. We bless God and thank you for that. But we're concerned about Pastor Bud locally, in addition to all the global stuff. If you're part of this church, you're concerned for our dear sister, Amanda Stone, who's still going through cancer treatments. We love her. We've been praying for her. So add that to the mix. And then you also have all your own struggles and concerns. We had ice this week. You have your own worries at work and family. And then the season of Lent comes. How many of you have heard the word Lent? Maybe some of you that grew up in a Catholic tradition, a more liturgical tradition, or you've been around the neighborhood church since we started a few years back. Lent is the season that precedes Resurrection Sunday. But you know what precedes a resurrection? Death. Lent is not a lot of fun. So we have all these geopolitical worries, we have all these local worries, we have all these personal worries, and then in walks a season that invites you to give, to pray, and to fast. Another way I could say that is to deny, deny, deny. <laughs> to repent, repent, repent. To have a little bit of death, a little bit of death, and a little bit of death. But the thing about Lent in the Christian tradition is that it trains us as God's people not to avoid denial and struggle and repentance. No, it's the opposite. Lent teaches us to engage with them. Why? Because it reminds us of what we already know. Globally, locally, and personally. You know what it reminds us of? We are frail. We are in need. We are broken. And Lent comes along not to mess up the party, but to invite us to it. To take our global, local, and personal struggles and to put them into the crucible to teach us and train us and to help us engage and refocus because it's okay to remember we're frail, broken, we're human. Lent begins this Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. Even if you're not religious, 
You've heard about Fat Tuesday, right? Fat Tuesday is the time where you go and party because Wednesday, Ash Wednesday is coming. And that's when you face the little death, the little denial of giving, praying, and fasting. These three tools are what we're going to look at this evening before Lent begins in earnest. And it's what Jesus is going to teach us about in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus comes onto the scene starting this kingdom of God movement from the Jewish tradition. So he's talking to Jewish folks that say, yeah, dude, we know about giving. We've been given to the poor since Moses' days. And then he teaches them about prayer. And they say, yeah, dude, we know about praying. We've been praying since Abraham's days. Then Jesus starts to tell them about fasting. He say, yeah, man, we know all about that. We got all those sackcloth and ashes. And even by Jesus' day, it was a common practice for the most pious and righteous Jews to fast, guess what, two times a week. Some of us haven't even fasted two times this year. That's okay, we're going to talk about this. So Jesus steps onto the scene and they say, yeah, thank you, we know all about it, yes, please. And more than that, even the great religions in our world today, the big ones, they all have these kinds of practices as well. But Jesus comes along and says, okay, here's the tools that the Jews have. Here's the tools that all these other people have. He goes, but do you know how to use them? Jesus is going to take the tools of giving, praying, and fasting that have become the classic tools that we explore as Christians in the season of Lent, and he's going to say, let me show you how to plug it in and operate it before you cut your fingers off with that saw. Amen? I'm not going to name any names of someone who may or may not have sliced their saw, although he knows tools better than just about anybody else, which is why it's a reminder for you if it's your first time giving, praying, and fasting or your thousandth time giving, praying, and fasting. We're going to look at Jesus' teaching, and we're going to hopefully be challenged, inspired, and encouraged to pick up these tools in our own life with God, our own life of dealing with the global, local, and personal struggles, and see what Jesus has for us in the days ahead. We all cool? We all with it? And if you don't like this message, I preached about all of these things three years ago. It's on our website. Stay with us if you're online. I want you to try this one first, okay? Let's look at Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to see how Jesus invites us to another kind of death, the death of showy, phony religion. We see the headline of the message in verse 1 on your screen now, and I want you to follow along in the next sections when he talks about giving, praying, and fasting to also see the headline, the pattern within each of these sections. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That's the headline. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let's see the pattern as he talks about praying. And when you pray, 
Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now let's pause and put a pin there because I'm going to skip the prayer and teaching that we prayed earlier. This is where the Lord's Prayer is found. We also did a whole series on the Lord's Prayer. But stay with us online. Don't jump off. Let's try this one first. But if you want to hear more about the Lord's Prayer, let me tell you. Pray it every day and it's way better than a sermon about it. So let's jump down to verse 16 to resume Jesus' teaching with fasting. You with me, everybody? When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Years ago, Amy grabbed one of those breakfast bars. You know what I'm talking about? The candy bars that are for breakfast, even though they have just as much sugar. I love those things. Well, Amy grabbed one of those at like a continental breakfast, and it was a special K bar. I remember that it was a special K bar because I have a vendetta against special K. That's right. I have a vendetta against special K, and here's why. Amy opens it up. She eats it. No problems, right? This is a strawberry-flavored breakfast bar. And then a few minutes go by, and she says, Huh. I said, what's wrong? She goes, my lips. My lips are starting to tingle. My tongue now is starting to go numb. And as I'm watching her, I thought my eyes were deceiving me, but the bottom half of her face began to swell. Does anybody remember the old movie Hitch with Will Smith? She did not look like that. I love you. You were so beautiful when you ate that special K-bar. So she's frantic. Her lips are tingling. Her face is swelling. Her tongue is going numb. She grabs the wrapper and she starts to look at the ingredient list. Because you know what's happening, right? And she's looking at the ingredient list And there about number four or five, she sees the culprit. It was not a strawberry breakfast bar. It contained nary a strawberry. It contained strawberry-flavored cranberries. Here's the problem. Amy is not allergic to strawberries. Amy is allergic to cranberries. Don't ask me why. If you're an allergist, please help us figure this out. But she is allergic to cranberries. So when she grabbed the strawberry bar, she paid the price because the outside didn't match the inside. Do you get what I'm saying? What Jesus is teaching us, not just in Matthew 6, but in the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, is that your outsides must match your insides. 
It was true in Jesus's day, just as it is true today, that we can do the nice religious thing, but our hearts and our motives can be so far from the heart of God and the love of our neighbor that the Sermon on the Mount is in effect a whole teaching on the fact that our motives matter. To put a finer point on it, the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, is Jesus' call to get our inner life, our thoughts and our intentions, and our outer life, our words and our actions, in tune with the kingdom of God, and at worst, in tune with each other. Do you know when a religious person is faking it? Yes or no? It tastes like strawberry-flavored cranberries, and it makes my face swell and my tongue go numb. The world does not need more strawberry-flavored fake religious people. What the world needs is a real faith. What we need is a real transformed person that has found life in Jesus and Jesus has given his life to us. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit indwells us and transforms us. And the inside that was once rotten and selfish becomes transformed to be generous and life-giving. And then when we give to the needy or we pray to God or we go and we fast, we begin to see that it's possible in Jesus for our interior, inside life to match our outside life because the people in the world can smell fake good works a mile away. So whether you're checking a box because your grandma told you you need to be in church or whether you're posting it on social media when you go and serve the homeless or at our clothes closet, you're missing the point. You're destroying your witness to our neighbor, and you're actually destroying your own life and heart. Jesus teaches that our motives matter. He's trying to bring our interior intentions in tune with our outward actions because that's the kingdom of God. Everything else is just a cheap religious substitute. Jesus teaches that our motives matter. And in Jesus' day, that was not always a given. Make no mistake that the Jewish people were God's family. They were God's people. They were also given 613. Can you hear that again? 613 commands, do's and do nots. And the problem with religion is it begins to squeeze some of the life out where they miss the point that it's all about God and being his and being in his family, being rescued and redeemed by him to be a people for his own possession. And instead, they traded it for a list of do's and don'ts because it's easier not to eat shrimp than to give generously and sacrificially. So what happened is they began to do all the right religious outward actions. And when you start to fake it, you don't always make it. And their hearts began to drift further and further because they had lost the plot. They had missed the point that it is for God and his eyes and his kingdom, not our own affirmation. So if we want 
our witness to the world to be credible, if we want real and actual transformation, hear this. You can give, you can pray, you can fast, but your motive and the audience matters. That's the secret ingredient. So if we want that, don't do this. Our headline in Matthew 6 verse 1. Be careful not to go to church and fast and sing and raise your hands and clap and serve and give and post. Beware not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be what? Seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. The headline is, don't do all the good church stuff to be seen by others. He's very clear. We understand this, yes? Now, I told you that each of those sections has a pattern. Let's look again at the pattern. The first issue is when. Did you see that word when highlighted in each of those sections? This is fascinating to me because Jesus is launching a kingdom movement. He's inviting Jewish people to follow him as the Jewish king, and they become known as Christians, and you won't find an explicit command that says, you better always fast twice a week at this time or this. Yet later on in the passage, Jesus says the word when to talk about fasting. He also says his when about giving to the poor. He also says when about praying. There's an assumption that Jesus has that these kinds of practices are natural outward growths, outgrowths of your interior life of getting to know and be known by God. I need you to understand that as we look at that pattern, that when word is important. Jesus is not saying these outward actions don't matter. No, he's assuming that you're doing them. But because Jesus knows people, he knows that we can substitute the real thing, which is a life with God and others, for the strawberry-flavored stuff of just to pray and give and fast and think that's enough. Are you with me on this? However, he does assume that we'll engage in them. He's handed us these tools, but he's trying to teach us how to use them. Because if we use them improperly, we see the other part of the pattern, and that's that word hypocrites. Did you see that highlighted, or do you see it if you have your Bible open in front of you? There is a Greek actor whose name was the inspiration for this word hypocrite. Hypocrisy, you know what it is, is effectively play acting. And it's become known after Jesus' day to be morally play acting. You with me on this? So here we see Jesus saying at each turn, these hypocrites take a good tool, a good reality, and then what? Turn it into make-believe for an audience because that's what actors do. Don't be like the Pharisees who would literally, in the synagogue, they had a money chest for the big gifts. They would store up all their pennies and nickels, and they would clang that coin purse down the aisle and plop it into the money chest. 
Don't be like those guys who will then turn around with their trumpet and say, please put my name on a brick when you build the next synagogue in the town over there. And go ahead and put my favorite Bible verse on it. He says, don't give to put a brick or a bench. Not that there's anything wrong with those people around town who've done that. That didn't make it to the outline. Please don't get the wrong idea. But if that's the only reason you're doing it, if the only reason you're doing it is to drop that into the money chest, you wanted to be seen, you wanted to be heard, well, guess what? You got your reward. But don't expect anything from God. Don't look in God's direction because you weren't doing it in the first place. It's not that God is withholding his love. God is over here with a money chest full of love and grace and goodness and blessing. And instead of going to him and getting our insides to match our outsides, God's over here left in the corner as we parade around town faking it so that others could see us without a care in the world of what God has for us in his life. That's what's going on when we see the reward portion in each of these patterns. The hypocrites perform their religious play in front of their audience, and when their audience sees their phony religious performance, they get what they want, and God is left in the dust, and they refuse to be transformed, they refuse to be acted upon, and the world smells it from a mile away, and Jesus says, enough. Finally, in the pattern, we see this word secret. Did you notice this each time? And some of you good Bible readers might say, well, doesn't he say, let your light, what, shine so that others may, what, see your, what, your good works. But in Matthew 5, when he says these words, I know you know what I'm talking about, Aaron. So that they may, what, glorify your Father in heaven. The only audience that ever matters is the unseen God. That even if you go out and do serve in the community, because it's really hard to feed our neighbors and clothe our neighbors like we do at the neighborhood church in a closet. Even though we have a closed closet, we wheel them things outside, right? But what happens when we're in those spaces in public is the same motive as if we were in the closet. It ain't about us. It's about God. We're out there giving away those sweet high top vans with roses on them last week, not to get a brick on a bench, but so that God would get glory. And those people would say, thank you, God. We have this idea that our inside must match our outside. And whether it's done before men or whether it's done in the secret place, the way you get those two things aligned is that you keep the only audience that matters before your face. Whatever I give, I give because God has inspired and called me to it. And that's all that matters. I don't need to write my name in bold on an envelope and flash it in front of Pastor Adam's face. Do y'all know in this church, I have no idea who gives or what they give, and we want to keep it that way. And that shouldn't affect your motives anyway. 
because you're not giving to me. You're giving to God and his mission and his purpose. So this idea of secret is not a contradiction with Matthew 5. It's the same issue. Is God getting the glory and is God your audience? Or do you want other people to see what you're about? That's how we keep our insides matching our outsides. Jesus teaches us to point our intentions and our actions to God, the only audience who matters. Let me summarize this passage, this text that we read with this slide. Jesus is saying, don't give to make a fuss about it. Do give and forget about it. Did you notice that strange thing he said? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus knows humans, and he knows that if we're given five more seconds to think about how awesome we are, that can start to spoil and rot down to the core like some strawberry-flavored cranberries left out at the Holiday Inn Continental Breakfast too long. So he says, do it, forget it. It's part of our life with God. It's our discipline. It's just as simple as living and breathing. Do it and forget about it. Don't give to make a fuss about it. Give and then forget about it. Don't let it fester and think you're bigger and better than you ought to be. Don't pray to sound spiritual. Do pray to share your whole life with God. I know some of you are nervous about praying in public, and that's okay. But if your motive leads you, don't worry about sounding or putting on airs of being spiritual. Prayer is, like I said earlier, bringing your soul to attention before God. Or as we see here, prayer is getting our whole lives out in the open to God. To ask for others, to ask for yourself, do pray to share your whole life with God. That's why Jesus teaches them later about the Lord's Prayer. Something as simple as daily bread, something as big as the kingdom come. You with me on that? Finally, he says, don't fast to look spiritual. Did y'all love that? I love reading that every time because I just imagine these religious folks going around with, the, with ashes and sackcloth and, 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 the, and they say, oh, I'm so hungry. And then people say, why are you so hungry? Do you want something to eat? You know what they love to say? Nah, man, I'm fasting. When I preached this three years ago, my intro, I went back and looked at my notes and it said, um, how do you know someone's a vegan? And the answer is, don't worry, they'll tell you. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm telling you, we were vegans. We're the worst. But I also ate like 40 things from Taco Bell last night, so those days are gone. But that's what he's getting after with fasting. Don't look spiritual. They love to tell you how spiritual they are. But do fast to focus more fully on God. Let me give you a quick word about fasting. We haven't talked about it in a while. We fast to disengage from something in order to more fully engage with God. Richard Foster, in his classic work, The Celebration of Discipline, where he looks at all these different spiritual practices and disciplines, says this about fasting. Fasting is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. What's a normal function? Eating and drinking. 
So we fast to disengage for something, for some time, for some purpose, and that is to more fully engage with God. Biblically, fasting was most often like an ad hoc thing. You know what I'm talking about, ad hoc? It's like a in the moment we need it. You'll see throughout the course of the Bible, just like Jesus assumed that people would fast, in the Bible, people would have an ad hoc moment when someone's threatening war or when someone has died, it's time to fast. Biblically, fasting is most often a response to grievous sin or dire circumstances. This is why the beginning of this message, I was talking about global issues, local issues, personal issues. Lent is coming Wednesday, inviting us for 40 days, not counting Sundays, to recognize our frailty, our brokenness, our humility. And it's a response to say, on Friday or this day or that day, whatever day, it doesn't matter. You don't got to tell me I'm not your audience. Maybe God is inviting you as a response, like we see in the biblical precedent, to say, I'm going to put aside lunch and breakfast so that during these times, I'm going to get on my knees and beg God for Pastor Bud, or I'm going to beg God for Ukraine. I'm going to beg God for my son and daughter. I'm going to beg God for my neighbors. I'm going to beg God for this nation. It's to disengage so that we may more fully engage. And here's the deal. That's why it's more than not eating. That's why it's more than no Facebook. It's two sides of the coin. It's to say no to this and fast so that we might then feast on God and his purpose. Lent comes to shake us up and give us some spring cleaning so that we can make room and put him back into the center point and reorient and reorbit. Giving does that. Praying does that. Fasting does that. But don't do it for me. Don't do it because I told you. Do it because you sense an invitation from God to more fully engage with God. On Wednesday is when the ice started to trickle in, which was a perfect moment for me to be in downtown Dallas. I knew when I drove down there, I was like, this is, this is not a great idea. And I'm looking at all the weather. I'm looking at the weather channels like, okay, it's going to be later. So I took the long and contemplative journey down Gaston and all the way up Garland, and I made it home safe and secure by God's grace, but I did not make it very safely to my car. The roads were fine driving. The stairs that I walked down to get to my car weren't. I was walking with a friend of mine, and he was sharing something very deep and personal, and I was trying to be a good pastor. Do you hear that, audience? Audience, do you hear this? And I was listening and being so spiritual with him, it's crazy. And I was looking at him, and I took one step down on those concrete steps to the sidewalk, and I ate it. And by God's grace, I didn't hit my head. I lost my coffee mug. I lost my umbrella. I looked a mess, but then I was able to pop up. And all my guys were looking around saying, are you good? Are you good? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Woke up the next morning, was not good. 
I'm too young to feel this old, but I got a bruise right here. I scraped my ankle, and my children and my wife asked me not ten times, did you cry? Did you cry? It's okay. It's really okay if you did cry. I said, I didn't cry. And she goes, do you want to cry now? Do you hurt? I said, what if I did get hurt? And then I started, I didn't start to cry. But they were asking me this whole time, and this is a cheesy illustration. I've been thinking about this all week. When we get our eyes off, when we start to lose the plot, that's when we can get hurt. That's when we can get injured. And so I know it's cheesy, but I think it proves the point. Would I have slipped if I was actually looking in the right direction? And so we're talking about giving, we're talking about praying, we're talking about fasting. In a couple moments as I close, I'm going to give you some practical invitations. And here's the thing, you might be tempted to say, yeah, cool, and you check the box, and before you know it, in two weeks, you're slipping and you're spilled out and you're hurting. Because we're, we're so easily swayed to hear this message that says, don't just do it for an audience. Don't just do it because I asked you. God isn't uh, demanding. He won't love you anymore because of it. So then why do you ask, should we do it? Why? Well, we got to close by making sure we're looking in the right direction. And here's a good question to make sure we're on steady footing. So do we want affirmation or do we want transformation? We give, pray, and fast. Not to be seen by others, but to be formed by God who sees us in secret. That's the litmus test. So before you go and make your big declarations and intentions on, it, on Ash Wednesday with God, make sure that you're putting your foot down securely because you're going to be hurt otherwise. Don't do Lent because everybody else is. Don't do Lent because they're going to ask you in your neighborhood group this Wednesday, is anyone doing something? By the way, they will ask you because for some of us, it ain't real unless we verbalize it. And I want to tell you, if you're in a neighborhood group, and if you want to be in a neighborhood group, talk to me tonight. A lot of them are still meeting on Zoom. But it's a way of holding loosely the fact that we're doing this together, but we're not doing it for a grade. Some of you may need to try on the spiritual discipline of secrecy, and when somebody asks you on Wednesday, you don't have to lie to them, but you don't have to say it. Do you know that Amy and I are married, and there are fasts that we do each year that we don't tell each other about it? Because we know we would constantly be looking over our shoulder wondering, oh man, is she going to catch me? We're doing it for an audience. So do we do it for affirmation or transformation? Don't do Lent. Because you want to lose weight. Don't do Lent because you grew up Catholic or Episcopalian or Anglican and you feel obligated to. Don't do Lent because you think you need to do something heroic from God. Let me tell you, you're never more loved than you are in this moment by a God whose grace is so infinite and so incomparable that there's nothing that can separate you from the love that God has for you in Jesus Christ. You don't need to go and earn it. You just got to abide in it and live in it and marinate in it and narrow your focus to the point that you are a beloved son or daughter you don't have to earn what's already been given. Don't go do something heroic from God. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He wants to form you. So we give, pray, and fast not to be seen, but to be formed. 
Don't do Lent because you feel guilty. Don't do Lent because I'm asking. Do Lent because there's an inner motivation to be more fully engaged with God in your frailty, your brokenness, your anxiety, and your need for Him this season. Make sure you set down that first foot rightly. Say, God, I want more of you, not more eyes, not even more love. I want more of you. That's how we do this thing. With all of this being said, if you feel like we've got that first foot firmly planted, we're not going to slip and spill. The next step we take are these humble invitations because some of you are there and you're saying, yes, I need some spiritual spring cleaning. I want to live more freely and lightly because what these things are are these disciplines and tools and practices that allow us to be acted upon by God. So if you're there with me, here's how you might walk through that this Lent. How will we give pray, and fast. We're inviting you as a church to give of your money because when Jesus taught this, he's assuming that we're giving alms and that is money given to those who are poor and in need. And at the neighborhood church, we have a few thousand dollars at all times designated in our budget to give to those who need help with their money, who need help when we meet them on the street, who need help when they come into our gatherings with food, gas, or otherwise. We help give to those in need. Your money that you give goes to our neighborhood, goes to our community. It goes to people within these walls when they've lost jobs, when they need help to stretch these things. Because we see repeatedly in the Christian movement and the Christian church that this is how God desires we spend some of our money that we've collected together. That when they're in lack over there, God raises up people to go and help bridge the gap over here. So if you feel led and inspired, this Lent, we're not setting a goal because we don't need an audience to hit that number like we've done in the past. But if you feel encouraged and led that we need to give more and over and above this season, we're inviting you to give to the Benevolence Fund. I've mentioned Pastor Bud. I've mentioned Amanda Stone. There are people in our community that have significant needs. We want to be able, should the need arise, to help meet those. So you can write in your checks, Benevolence. That's a strange word, but that's a word that designates this is money to the pool that can be given to those in need. We can give through Zelle now. That's an online way that doesn't cost anything for you, that doesn't cost anything for us. You can do that. Some of you do bill pay. And let me say this. I know I'm talking a lot tonight. If you don't give, maybe this is a great time to start. Some of you that grew up in church have heard the word tithe. And a tithe is an Old Testament principle for giving 10% of your income. If 10% sounds horrendous and horrific to you, maybe Jesus says start with one. Start with two. Or maybe do what the New Testament teaches. Whatever you've settled in your heart to give, start there. Because we want to help be a blessing and a channel in our neighborhood. We're also inviting you to pray. We have prayer guides 
on our website in the sermons and resources. We have this app I've been talking about, Lectio 365. That's where our prayer came from earlier. We've also, in the month of January, we're encouraging you to sit in stillness for five minutes a day. Maybe there's more intention being brought to those spaces. Maybe you need to join in interceding for those that we've mentioned more intentionally. How are you going to pray? Finally, fast from food, from media, or mindsets. Some of us need to fast from criticism or negativity or gossip and see what the Lord might do. But make sure it's not play acting. Make sure we're putting our foot down firmly that there's no love to be earned when you're forgiven and redeemed and in Christ. Make sure that there's no fast to twist God's arm to do what he wants. Make sure you're firmly rooted that it's for God's eyes and for our transformation, not for anyone else's affirmation. We'll close here on this slide. It's this idea that we give, pray, and fast, not to twist God's arm, not to get what's already given, but to put ourselves in a position to be acted upon by God and who knows what he has for store in store for you this season. Would we give ourselves to him and follow Jesus' teaching to keep God first and to try these tools out to see what he might build into our lives? Amen and amen. Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to hear the words of your son Jesus. Call us and equip us and encourage us. We pray that we would set off on the right feet with wherever you send us. Would you draw us deeper into your life and love and further out into love of our neighbor? Through these practices and through each moment we have together, through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray, amen. Amen. May your lives be marked by compassion and generosity, sharing what you have been given with those in need, storing up your treasure in heaven instead of here on earth. May your giving be done in such a way that the Father who sees you blesses you for what you give will be multiplied in his hands. May your praying be done in such a way that the Father who sees you answers you for what we pray will be heard in his tender mercy. May your fasting be done in such a way that the Father who sees you fills you for what we fast will be replaced at the feast of his table when the kingdom of God comes in fullness. May the blessing of God who sees, hears, and fills encourage and strengthen you in every good word and deed until we meet again. Go in peace.